you have a Bible or a device, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. And these are the words of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Enter by the narrow gate, that is, enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, then those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I pray for every person who is here that he or she would recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit illumine our hearts and minds to hear the word of Jesus, which is the word of God. Please be with Tim and fill him with your spirit. And we pray that your words would come through him. May we stand in awe of your presence and power and that you are with us. And may we say when it's all said and done, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, this morning, we get to uh, wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been talking about that for the last uh, several weeks. Uh, and then um, this week, we get to uh, see the conclusion of that. Um, if this opens. Oh, there it goes. We can do this. Uh, well, Pastor Mike is, is gone uh, this weekend. Uh, he took his uh, wife, Sheila, on a romantic weekend away. And you know what they did yesterday? Went and saw an aircraft carrier. He needs to step up his uh, romantic game, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, to each their own. Maybe she enjoys that. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I hope they're having a, a great time. And uh, it's good he's not here because I can make fun of him several times today. <laughs> well, a study was conducted by uh, 700 million people. And they asked uh, churchgoers, they said, what is the favorite words that your pastor says? And do you know what the, the overwhelming response, the number one answer was? In conclusion, <laughs> or my final point is, none of you uh, would agree with that, right? 
no. Well, today, uh, we, you know, like I said, we've been uh, spending the last few weeks studying the greatest sermon ever told. Jesus took a bunch of people up on a hillside and he started to just uh, speak and, and give the sermon that is the greatest thing ever recorded. And he spins the last uh, section of it, chapter 7, which we're going to dive in today. And it's basically him saying, in conclusion, it's over. I have already spoke to you, but let me conclude this for you. And so we're going to go through Jesus's conclusion and see what he has uh, to say. Um, you'll see that, that uh, in, in this conclusion, the people are intrigued and they're listening and they're astounded by the words of Jesus. And he concludes by uh, contrasting uh, two th- things and he, he does these two things three different times. You getting the math there? Uh, so these two things, he can contrast uh, two gates, two trees, and at the very end, two builders. And if you have your, uh, your uh, bulletin insert, uh, the, the, the message outline is there. The first point is this. Uh, Jesus, he, he concludes three examples to make the point that action is needed. That action is needed. Jesus explains that when people hear him speak, they can respond in one of two ways. They can hear him speak and have two different very outcomes. Two people can have, uh, hear the same exact words that he was saying and have two completely different outcomes. One uh, could hear Jesus speak but do nothing. The other could hear Jesus speak and then respond the right way, do the things that he was saying to do. Two people can sit in the, the same pew, in the same church, listening to the same pastor week after week, while one uh, life uh, changes and, and responds with repentance and growth, while the other one uh, doesn't change at all. And since hearing Jesus' words is not enough, the question isn't, have you heard, but have you acted on what you heard? And that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, I have laid it down for the last several hours. I have given you some really good stuff here, but what are you going to do with it? Just listening to my words, going back down the mountain, wasn't the purpose of all of this. The purpose is so that you would hear what I'm saying and then go do what I have told you to do. Sometimes I think Christians, we, we hear a lot and, and um, we're, we're good at that. We're, we're good at hearing, but hearing and doing maybe isn't something that we're good at. You know, uh, uh, across the globe, there are uh, Christians who have very little access to scripture, little access to good teaching, good teachings, but they're spiritual giants compared to Christians here in, in America. I bet you on you that you passed up 10 churches as you were driving to your church here this morning. You have access to thousands of great sermons on the internet that you can download or listen to to podcasts, yet we pale in comparison to several Christians across the globe who don't have this access. And we've said it here before, but uh, as Americans living in this great country, it is really hard to be a true Christian. We just have things way too good in our lives. I don't think you consider yourself a rich person, but you are a very rich person compared to the rest of the world. We have all of the luxuries in our life. It is hard then to be completely dependent on Jesus. And so it's tough for us. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, uh, I don't want you just to hear. I want you to hear and then go do. Francis Chan has a great illustration where he says, imagine if I go up and I tell my son, uh, go clean your room. 
And then my son says, uh, yes, father, I hear your words and they're good. He wouldn't do that, but... Uh, <laughs> Yes, Father, I hear your words and they're good. And then he goes off. And then let's say I wait a couple hours and then I, I go to check in and his room is not cleaned at all. And I go up to him and I say, why haven't you cleaned your room? And he says, I, I heard you tell me to clean my room. I love that bit of your words to me. I've, I've memorized your words, Father. I've put them on my heart. In fact, uh, I, I've gotten together with my sister. We formed a committee to, to really study and meditate on your words. And I think I'm really growing here. But the room is not clean. We're really good about leaving here on a Sunday saying, boy, that was a good sermon. Boy, those words were great. I'm going to memorize some things. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate on them. I'm going, to, I'm going to study the word a little bit, but actually uh, applying the things that we talk about here or in your discipleship groups, do we do that? And that is what Jesus is saying here in these last few passages. He's saying, you are fools if you listen to me and go back down that mountain unchanged. You are a fool if you do that. But he's saying that to each and every one of us here this morning as well. He's calling me a fool. I'm calling you all a fool. Do you think you're going to be called a fool today? I'm going to. The pastor's not here to tell me anything different. So. <laughs> you are a fool if you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, the, 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 the things that Jesus was given us through the Sermon on the Mount, and you don't let your life be changed. You don't act in it. We need to remember that, that merely hearing Jesus' words is not necessarily uh, good for us. It's like popping, popping uh, vegetables on our plate. It doesn't do any good unless we consume the vegetables. And so I'm going to go through, there's three examples, like I said here, uh, and I'm going to start with uh, the first one, which is the, uh, uh, the narrow gate. And uh, Dave read those words. When you read those words, uh, uh, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, a couple of questions come to mind. One is, what is this gate? Two is, uh, 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 how does one enter in this gate? And three is, is why is the gate narrow? Or, or why do so many people uh, uh, not enter that narrow gate? So let's go through those three questions. And if you have your outline, uh, we're going to be going through that. Um, Verse 13, it says, uh, enter the narrow gate. So what is the gate? Jesus uses this, this analogy of the gate. What is the gate? Well, the gate here, the narrow gate, is Jesus. I say this because uh, what Jesus himself teaches in John 10, verse 9, where he calls himself the door, or if you have the uh, NIV version, which I have here, it says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pastors. He's, he's, he's uh, in that section, he's, uh, the analogy is we are the sheep and Jesus is the gate. He allows his sheep in and out. So Jesus is the gate. So if Jesus is the gate, how does one enter in? That's the second question here. And to find that, we go to Matthew seven twenty one. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in who is in heaven. So how does one enter the gate? The one who does the will of God. In scripture, God's 
concept uh, or in scripture that the concept of God's will covers a lot of territory. And part of that territory of God's will is, is faith in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says here in John uh, 6, 38 and 40. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will of him who sent me, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's God's will that we believe in Jesus. So, so getting through the gate here in Matthew 7 is, is uh, what one commentator calls our, our evangelical decision, right? It's, it's, it's that trust in Jesus. And so although everyone, uh, although one is saved by faith in Christ alone, that saving faith is never alone. It's not just a faith. When you have a true uh, saving faith, uh, things come with it like works and love and obey. It endures, it perseveres. It, while it's not, uh, our works aren't are perfect, they are persistent. And what is taught in James 2 is likewise taught here that it's not enough just to say, I believe in God or even I believe in Jesus. But what they're saying here is you must walk the walk. A saving faith is a doing faith and therefore the word does in that verse does matter. The one who does what I say the one who does the will of my father. Now, the third question here is, uh, why is the gate narrow and why do so many people enter it? Uh, this is the most profound question and we're gonna spend a little bit uh, of the time here. The question raised here in the text is not, uh, why is God's gate so narrow, but rather, why do people go so wide? Expressed differently, uh, why does the majority of humanity not look for the narrow gate, not find it, and not walk through it? So chapter 7 gives us uh, three answers to this question of why is the gate narrow and why do so many people not enter it? And the, the first answer to that question is this. We are all evil by nature. This verse is uh, or this concept that we're evil uh, is taught in many different areas in scripture. But all you have to do is go back a few verses right there in chapter 7. Go to chapter 7, verses 11, and you'll see that. It says this, if you then, who are, what? Uh, two people said that. If you then, who are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them, we are all evil. Look to the person uh, to the east of you and tell them that they're evil. <laughs> People back there going, never eat soggy water. Can you imagine someone making that claim today that Jesus does? Let's say you're serving at uh, on a school board or something like that, and you're in a meeting discussing uh, curriculum, and one of the ladies on the board says, well, since we're all evil and all these dang kids are evil, we should do this. It ain't gonna go over so well, right? But that's what Jesus is telling us in scriptures, is that we are inherently evil. And so uh, the claim that people are fundamentally evil is not unthinkable, rather it's just simply not thought about today. It's, it's not that it's not true, it's just not thought about. 
However, everything in the Christian faith faith hinges on this reality. If people are not evil, fallen, and rebels against God, then Jesus is not needed for our salvation. But if you take a careful look at your own inclinations, your own attitudes, your own actions, you might see that Jesus' accusation is quite accurate. I'm evil, you're evil, and that is why we need the gospel every single day. A gospel is not just a saving gospel. A gospel is a gospel that is needed every single day because every morning when you wake up, you, are, you wake up as a sinner and the gospel pulls you back in to align you with the will of God. And so that's the first reason why people don't enter through that narrow gate is because we're naturally evil. A boss took uh, two of employees, his employees out for lunch one day. And uh, as they were walking to lunch, they walked by this antique store. And right there uh, is, is a, uh, a lamp and a genie pops out. And he says, I'm going to grant each one of you three wishes. And the first guy goes, well, uh, I want to go to Hawaii and I want to sit in a chair underneath the sun. I want my own personal masseuse. I want my own server that brings me uh, endless uh, tropical drinks and ice cream and french fries. And I want to just sit there. And woof, off he went. Second guy says, well, uh, I'm a little bit adventurous. I want to go to Australia. I want to scuba dive uh, uh, by the Great Barrier Reef. I want to go play with uh, koala bears. Uh, I want to do all these adventures in Australia. And poof, off he went. And the last guy, there was the boss and the genie says to the boss, well, what's your wish? And the boss says, well, I wish to have those two back in the office after lunch. (laughs) You see, if I was ever lucky enough to come across this magical genie who gave me a wish, I would be with my brother and that would happen with me. He is so evil, he would wish me back away from my wishes. I know that that would happen. The second reason why we prefer the narrow gate is that we prefer ease. We just like things easy. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is what? Easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is what? Hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Why go wide? It's the same reason that Division I college athletes uh, major in general study rather than astrophysics. It's easy. It's easy to live under the lordship of our own rule, under the, the, um, the made-up legislation in our head that says, you know, whatever feels good, do that. Whatever we want to do, we'll just do. It's easy to live under that kind of direction. You ever hear the phrase, uh, if it was easy, everyone would do it? This phrase? Uh, there was this poster that hung in the uh, weight room of our high school that said that. And the idea was, uh, you know, as you're sitting there underneath 100 pounds of weight and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're sweating and trying to work out and it's hard that you read that poster and you say, yeah, if this was easy, everyone would do that. And you'd just pump you up and you'd be all excited. We also know this uh, this life that, that it's, the, it's easier to go through the narrow gate. We know this to be true through music. Thanks to ACDC and Led Zeppelin, the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven 
says a lot about the expected traffic numbers. Am I right? But seriously, the life of the narrow gate is not for the faint of heart or for the weak. It takes courage. It takes perseverance. It takes tenacity. It is not easy. Those who go through the narrow gate are called to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow Jesus. The people who go through the wide gate, they're called just to look at what they want, what feels good for themselves, and that's the way to go. And that's, I I know um, many uh, good and faithful Christian men and women, a lot of you sitting in this, uh, the, the chairs here today and you can uh, you can attest to the fact that going through the narrow gate is not easy in fact it can be very hard and going through that narrow gate and following the will of God and, 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 and uh, submitting to his lordship man you can have some battle wounds it's not easy but that's the call That's the call for us. And let me tell you, all the times in my life where I have gone through the narrow gate and I have gone through hard things, and sometimes you go through the narrow gate and then God says, here, go through this gate on your way. It's even narrower. And you think, what the heck? It can be very hard. But the times where, like I said, that I can look back in my life and I've seen the times where I've gone through the narrow gate and the battle wounds are real, I have never once regretted looking back. It's the hard way, but it is definitely the only way. You see, the wide gate says to hate your enemies, but the narrow gate says to love them. The wide gate says to seek revenge to those who hurt you, but the narrow gate says to be kind to those who harm you. The wide gate says to swing back at somebody who hits you, but the narrow gate says to turn the other cheek if someone hits you. It's crazy stuff, y'all. The wide and narrow concept pertains to every aspect of our lives. It pertains to our money. It pertains to our relationships. It pertains to our jobs. It pertains to everything that we do. Narrow gate means to give God your all, to allow him to be in complete control of that aspect of your life. The wide gate says, nah, I'm going to submit to my way of doing things. Take your money, for example. We've talked about it here many times that God calls us to a tithe, to whatever we take in, that we, we live on 90% of that, and as an act of faith and trust in God, we give back 10 of that. That kind of thinking is narrow gate thinking. The narrow gate mind says, thank you, God, for giving me what you have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live on 90% of it, but as an act of faith and gratitude and thanksgiving for what you have given me, I'm giving you back 10% to your local church. That's narrow gate thinking. Wide gate thinking says, you know, I worked really hard for this. I've got a lot of bills that are coming up. My direct TV bills $175 this month. And so when the offering plate comes by, you'll throw 20 bucks in because you, you're, you're, and that's basically tipping Jesus. A wide gate tips Jesus, a narrow gate tithes. It's the difference. It's hard. When you look back at 10% of what you took in, it's a hard thing to do to, at first to give that check over. The narrow gate is hard, 
I'm not hiding that at all. That's what we're saying here. It's hard. Take your relationships. A wide gate mentality says it's okay to treat your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend as if you're married to them already. It's okay to live together. It's okay to have sex before marriage. And then when you do get married, when things get hard, when the person you're married to leaves their nail clippings all over or they start to snore a little extra loud, you, you think, you know what? I'm just done with this person. But a narrow gate mentality calls for purity in relationships and it calls for commitment in relationships. And when things get hard, you get working harder. Not easy. Not easy at all. When things get hard in a relationship, you say, God, we need you to come in here. We need you to take lordship of our relationship. And then we commit to working our butts off to make this work. It's narrow gate. Let's be honest. This is not only counterintuitive to every way that we think. It's, not, it's counterintuitive to every uh, lesson that you learned on the playground at elementary school. Can you imagine an elementary school kid getting hit by somebody and just turning his cheek and saying, here, take this one too. I'm a narrow gate kid. <laughs> it, don't help, it don't work like that. Maybe some of you holy people that day, you were that way when you were a kid, but it, it just, it, this is not normal. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the hard things that Jesus told us to do. He also told us to pray for those who persecute us. Oh, I hate that one. Do you know what persecution is in a, in a modern day? In a modern day, persecution is bullying. And if you've ever been uh, bullied at school or if you've ever been bullied on the social media, is your first instinct to pray for the slimy jerks? No. Your first instinct is to hurt them the way that they have hurt you, to put yourself on even ground. That is wide gate thinking and it feels so darn good at the moment. Get even. Get revenge. But the narrow gate commands us to pray for those who are persecuting us. The narrow gate has no, no room for getting even or to exacting revenge. If you think about it, we all just want to be normal. We want to fit in. And at times, that can be our main goal. Fitting in feels infinitely better than standing out. And, and so we work hard to dress like the rest. We work hard to act like the rest. We work hard to, to talk like the rest, to blend in like the rest. The, more, the majority of the people, the crowd is traveling the wrong path, the one that leads to destruction. They're the normal ones. They're intent on looking like the rest, spending money like the rest, living like the rest, keeping up with the rest. But their road leads to a dead end. Only a few people, the weird ones, shall we say, unafraid to exit the normal highway, find the right road. Not many, but a small and brave group of travelers willing to separate from the crowd and embark on a different kind of journey down a less obvious path. Why do people go wide? Why does the majority of humanity make the wrong choice? It's easier. It's just plain and simple. It's easier. But a question for you today, does your life reflect a narrow path or does more of your life reflect 
a wider path. And specifically, what area in your life is God calling you to a narrow gate mentality? Evil and ease are the first two answers to, the, to these questions that, that, that God provides here in scriptures. Uh, the third answer is this. There are false prophets that make the wide gate acceptable. Matthew seven fifteen through 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will be recognized, you will recognize them by their fruits. You see, Jesus teaches us self-denial. False teachers teach, uh, look great, feel great. Jesus teaches us the dangers of materialism, but they teach to live your best life now. Jesus teaches that there is only one way to God. They teach that love wins uh, and that the, the, the wideness of God's mercy is so wide that everybody is eventually included into the kingdom. Jesus teaches that uh, teaches us humility and dependence on God. And they teach that if, if it's to be, it's up to me. There's a difference in, in God's teaching and false teachings. Look carefully on verse 22. Uh, and what these uh, speakers will say on judgment day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and so many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, says God's saying, that I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you see how they give their their Christocentric, charismatic credentials. They list, the, they list the gifts of the Spirit, but they don't list the fruit of the Spirit. They boast of, of great religion, but not of true religion. Don't ask, underestimate the influence of bad theology and false teaching. Because there's many people who choose the wide way to destruction because of these clanging symbols or these showy swindlers. The ultimate question of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus is not just, why do you, what do you think of my teaching? But as he says in, in Matthew 16, 15, what do you think of me? What do you think of me and who do you say that I am? I can see Jesus at the end of his sermon with all of these people listening intently for seven hours, several hours, and then he asking this question to them, who do you say that I am? Jesus closes with a parable of, of two builders. And uh, he says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone catches who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Jesus claims that human wisdom and human folly will be assessed based on one's reception or rejection of the Sermon on the Mount pretty staggering claim. Several years ago, uh, well, our, our family, uh, several years in a row, we go down to San Diego during the summer for a week, and 
one of those trips uh, uh, we had just taken just a, just a little bit of car ride and you know down by some of the cliffs in the northern county of San Diego you've got some absolute beautiful homes on the cliff that overlook the ocean here's one of them right uh, you have this the, just this cliff and then if you're like on this home you can stand on your balcony out there and you can look at the Pacific Ocean all the way left and all the way right and it's just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and I remember driving through there and Jamie and I talking like, boy, wouldn't that be awesome just to live there and, you know, come home from work and sit on your balcony and have a glass of milk and look out at the ocean. <laughs> milk does the body good, right? But wouldn't that be cool? You know, it's, it's fun to kind of dream about that and how awesome uh, that kind of lifestyle would be. We'll never live there, but man, that's so cool. And then later on that year, maybe even the beginning of, of, of the next year, when the, the stormy season came, that area got pounded with rain. And several of the houses that we actually go, drew, th- drove through the neighborhood um, were destroyed and actually slid into the ocean. Uh, and here's one uh, house you can see. This house is probably worth, you know, hundreds, or not hundreds, several million dollars before this. But now you could probably buy that house for $10 if you want it. And it just got me thinking, like, the same area that we drove in, and, we, and then that, that following summer when we went again, we drove that same area, and it was still uh, black, uh, blacklisted or black taped, whatever they call it. You couldn't get in there. And it's amazing to think that uh, this house is just about to fall down into the ocean again. This one, I, I wouldn't trust. It looks okay right now, but you wouldn't want to trust it, right? And it just reminds me of that popular song about not building your house on the sandy land. And you don't want to build it too near the shore because it might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice and you'll have to build your house once more. Anyone know the song? You got to build your house upon the rock, make a firm foundation on a solid spot and though the storms may come in God, the peace of God, you will know. Yeah, that's right. It's a good song, right? But this is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's bringing up this analogy because he knew the people at the time. I did some reading on this, and, and he said that uh, this is right in the area of uh, where rivers were coming, and uh, kind of foolish people at the time wouldn't heed uh, the warning, and they would build a house right on the river edge. And sure enough, every couple of years, uh, the rivers would expand, their houses would wash down, and uh, they would look at those guys and say, we told you not to build it, we're so close to the shore. And they would say, oh, I don't know if they did exactly that, but I'm just <laughs> guessing. And so Jesus brings up that analogy. He says, if you listen to what I'm saying here, what, I'm, what I've been preaching for these last several hours, I've been throwing down right now and, and giving you just awesome stuff. If you leave this mountainside and do nothing, your life doesn't change. You're like those people who build their house right on the river. Isn't that foolish? And they'll be like, yeah, that's foolish. But if you hear what I'm saying right now, and you go down the mountainside and you actually apply those things to your life, you're like the person who builds a house outside of the river on a, on a solid foundation on the rock. And what he's telling these people is you need to leave here. And when you need to leave, when you do leave here, action is required. I'm not telling you these things just to entertain you for a couple of hours. I'm telling you these things so your lives can be changed. The greatest sermon ever 
was, was given using this analogy and he closes it down by saying things need to change because you heard this today. Your life needs to be differently because you sat here today. And here's the last point on your notes. So you have the difference between these two builders. Catch this. The difference between the two builders was not knowledge and ignorance. The difference between these two builders was obedience and disobedience. Both these builders were told what to do and what not to do. One listened, one did not. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Man, it would be so great if, if, if that verse said, don't, listen, don't, don't listen, uh, listen to the word, but, or if it said, it's okay to just listen to what it says. He doesn't. He says, do what it says. I was flying uh, or landing at LAX uh, recently, and I was reminded of a guy uh, by the name of Larry Walters. Anybody know that name would ring a bell? It didn't with John earlier, too, when I mentioned it to him. Uh, Larry Walters has uh, quite a, an awesome story. Uh, he was actually nicknamed Lawn Chair Larry because of a certain stunt that he pulled one day. He was sitting in his backyard in a lawn chair, sipping on a glass of lemonade or something, and watching the planes overhead, he thought, you know what? It sure would be cool to fly. And I don't mean in just an airplane. It would be cool just to fly in this lawn chair. Yeah, yeah. So he made a plan. And uh, he tethered a rope from his lawn chair to his Jeep. And then he got 43 weather balloons, or the big uh, weather balloon uh, things. And he filled them with helium and attached them to his lawn chair. He thought it'd be cool if he could, you know, float around his neighborhood, wave at some people, and just kind of hang out, you know, 30 feet up in the air or so in his neighborhood. Uh, and so he thought it was a good plan. How could it go wrong? So he got in his chair. He took a few things with him, a pellet gun, a CB radio, and of course, a six-pack of beer. <laughs> and then he got in his chair and he cut the tether and the chair took off. Lawn chair Larry soared a thousand feet per minute, eventually reaching 16,000 feet. Now the winds, uh, he, he lived in, in San Pedro and the winds were blowing north that day. Do you know what's due north of San Pedro? LAX. Lawn chair Larry was in the flight uh, path of planes landing at LAX. In fact, a Delta flight and a TWA airliner, a commercial airliner, these big 757s or so, spotted him in the air and radio to air traffic controller saying, we got a dude in a lawn chair with a bunch of balloons tied to him sitting up here <laughs> drinking beer. What's, something's got to be done. And all along, lawn chair Larry's just smiling and looking around. <laughs> and so he had his CB radio up here. He, he contacted the authorities. He talked with them, and uh, uh, they, they, they found eventually a spot where they thought if he uh, could land, it'd be kind of safe. And so one by one, Larry took his pellet gun because, you know, he planned ahead. And he shot out the, the balloons with his pellet gun, and he came down and landed uh, back on land. And when he did land, two groups of people were there to meet him, uh, the cops and media. And before the cops took him away, the media were, was able to get three questions in. The first question they asked Larry, and he was a man of very few words, uh, obviously not a man with great intelligence either, but he, 
He was a man of very few words. And the first question they asked him, Larry, were you scared? And he said, yep. And they said, Larry, would you ever do this again? Nope. And then they asked him, why would you do this? And Larry looked at the cameras and he replied, well, you just can't sit there. You just can't sit there. And as odd as lawn chair Larry is, and I'm, I don't know, I'm not going to judge him, I'm not sure how religious he is, that's exactly the statement that I think Jesus is closing with on the Sermon of the Mount, telling us, telling us his believers, his followers, those who listen to him, Jesus telling every one of us here this morning, you can't just sit there. I think Jesus is telling us this same message that, that decisions need to be made, that commitments need to be made, that my life is worth following, but it can't be done if you just sit there. Be like lawn chair Larry. <laughs> and don't just sit there. Make a plan to soar, not in a lawn chair, but make a plan to soar with your Lord and Savior. We've, the last several weeks, gone through the greatest sermon that you will ever hear, not because of Mike or Dave or me, it was because of the content given originally by Jesus Christ himself. It was the greatest stuff that goes through. It was awesome things. It goes through the Beatitudes. It's a whole new way of living. The people back in those days were religious. They followed the Ten Commandments and the law. And Jesus came and said, said, I'm here to fulfill the law, but I'm giving you a new way to think about things. And he says, I want your heart. I don't want the tip of the iceberg. I want all of the ice under, uh, that's underneath that. I want your whole heart. And if you've given me just a piece of your heart, it's not good enough. I want the whole thing. And he goes through and he, he talks about all these things and then he closes and he's looking at each and every one of you here this morning and says, what are you going to do with these words? Are you going to just sit there or are you going to do something? Are you going to be foolish or are you going to be wise? And so today I want to close in thinking about how we can respond to this. There's a couple of things that we can, a couple of ways that we can respond. The most dangerous thing you can do, and I, I hope we get some of you today to, to, to respond this way, is to pray a search me prayer. You know what that is? A prayer to God that says, search me. Check this out, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Uh, maybe write it down uh, and study this over this week. But not, don't read this. Let this be your prayer. But let me warn you first. Don't read it. Let me warn you first. This is a very dangerous prayer. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for somebody who, who can't, isn't ready to handle this. This is a dangerous prayer. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me, O oh God, that offends you. And lead me along a path of everlasting life. It's a search me prayer. Would you be so bold and dangerous this morning to pray a search me prayer? 
Maybe you're, you're feeling God calling you to, to lead you in a certain way, to, to act and respond in a certain way, and you're thinking, God, I've been thinking about doing this, I'm just not sure, or, or maybe today your prayer is a lead me prayer. God, I want to be vulnerable to you, I want to write a contract that is blank and sign my name on the bottom and have you fill it out. Lead me to where you want to lead me this morning. You know, there's several things that we have uh, set up. Maybe you're saying this morning, you know, I've been on the sidelines for far too long. I need to jump in the game. I need to, to, to get into uh, uh, around with some other folks. I mean, our community groups are always open up. We have discipleship groups that you can jump into right now. We have uh, Financial Peace University. Maybe you're thinking, you know, hey, what, what, the, the, what Dave was saying earlier today um, about the giving, I, I need to do that. We have financial peace coming up, like Nicole announced. Maybe you commit to that. Maybe you're so busy with work that you, you think, man, I just, I can't come to, to a discipleship group or whatever. We're going to be starting a new uh, 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 online Bible study group. If you are interested about just committing 40 minutes or so where you could go online and be uh, led through that way, you can sit in your pajamas at home. You can do it at lunch at work if you're allowed to. But if that's part of your time, or if that's part of your reason for not getting involved in a group, sign up for that. Just say online class. I'm interested in online class. But today I'm going I'm to invite the, uh, the, the worship team, and we're going to close in communion. And we always close in communion because it's our way of responding. Please, if I can beg and plead with you, don't let this communion be like any other communion where you get up and you... you you, you, you partake in, in the, the, the ritual and then you sit back down. But I want you just to be thinking of how can I respond today? Christ calls us in conclusion of the Sermon of the Mount to be a person of action. And so you have red cards in front of you. You have red connect cards. What I would love is for each person just to write down how you're going to respond to God today. It's not that we need to read these things. It's just you, an act of you doing the, these things and, and in response to what God is talking to you. If there's some things where, where the, the, the staff or uh, um, the elders need to know about, like if, you, if you're interested in an online group, put your name and either a number or email. But Use the connect card and, and however it is, if, if you are willing to pray that search me prayer, just put that in the, nom, uh, in the comments, praying a search me prayer. And then when you go to the communion table today, just set that on the communion table and take communion in response to your call, in response to your, uh, your response to the word. Dig, does that sound cool? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for the new way that you, you came to give us to live, Lord. But I pray that you would work in our hearts right now. Lord, that you would consume us, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would comfort us. Lord, I pray that your words would move us to action. Lord, Father, that we will be a people that just say, well, we can't just sit there anymore. Lord, move in us. Do real things in us right now. Father, we thank you for, for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. And so uh, we might come here thinking today, you know, I, I'll do some of these things once I get my life in order. But you know, that is not how it goes. We don't have to have our lives in order, but accepting you, following you, 
It's something that we can do right now, right here today. Father, I pray that we can have the courage, if that is someone, that you can have the courage to do that right now. And Father, I pray that you would bless this time of response and in dedication and of communion. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 